Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 8. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome, leaders. I'm your co-host, Aaron. In episode six, we talked about the three primary motives, achievement, affiliation, and impact. And we shared that for any leader or influencer, impact is the most powerful motive. That's right, Aaron. That means that the thing that motivates you the most is making a difference that truly matters. And it also includes influencing people and maintaining a reputation and relationships that will help you make that difference. You will be a more effective leader if you can keep the long-term impact as your motivation rather than achievement like getting tasks done or beating the competition or getting people to like you or accept you, which is what people who are motivated by affiliation do. Right. And I I should remind everybody that in this 21st century that we live in, we are all always leading and communicating. So even if you think you are in a situation where you don't need to be a leader, if you dig a little deeper, you'll discover that these impact thoughts will almost always make you more effective. So that's kind of my way of saying uh, that some of this sounds like it's just corporate business talk, but it actually makes a difference in both business and in your other areas of life. For example, in your family. We are going to explore the question... Is it enough to be motivated by the desire to have impact on others or on your organization? Well, it used to be, but research shows that in the 21st century, the leaders who are most successful are those who practice what is called interactive impact. What is interactive impact, Jesse? I think I can best define interactive impact by contrasting it with institutional impact, which is, as you said, it used to be that having impact as your main motive was enough. Back in the 20th century, that was enough. And the the style of leader that we saw uh, often very effective was somebody who really saw themselves as the magic. They were very skillful at motivating others to excel. So you think of Lee Iacocca as an, as an example. In the 21st century, we see that that's not really as effective. You don't, you don't find Chrysler right now as one of the top country uh, companies in the world, despite what Lee Iacocca accomplished. Um, you see the interactive impact being more important. And that's a, a leader that sees the, not themselves as kind of the magic or the source of power, but the team that they lead, the team itself is the magic. And so they're less likely to um, necessarily be that charismatic, visionary, superstar leader. As I like to think of it, the institutional leader looked more like the hub of a wheel, and the interactive leader is more like a spoke on a wheel. In the 20th century, the hub was the magic. In the 21st century, it's the overall wheel that's the magic. So if you contrast that 
sort of Iacocca style of leadership with the Toyota style of leadership, uh, you see, now first of all, I can't even tell you who the heck is the CEO of Toyota. I'm sure it, there is a person and probably smarter people than I know who it is. But with Toyota, it's all about the team. And they basically have empowered and equipped and held accountable each person on every single work team to continually be raising the bar on their quality and on their service um, and just on the, the overall uh, package that the, that the customer gets. So the, the overall difference is that institutional leadership values having power and influence, but focuses on getting others to do what is needed. Okay, so that sort of, that sounds like just standard leadership, but the interactive leader is different because that leader values outcomes that really make a difference and, and creates conditions that basically allow everyone to work together to achieve a shared purpose that everybody is excited about. So if you talk to Toyota employees, they get excited about their ability to do something that brings greater value to the customer, that improves their own work environment. They, they get a kick out of just improving for improvement's sake. So how do you become that kind of leader? Well, first of all, let me say that what we're sharing today, as, as was episode six, is based on research and work done by David Burnham and uh, continues to be moved forward by his firm, uh, Burnham Rosen. And they discovered through lots and lots of empirical research that there are certain thought patterns or the way you think is actually going to affect the way you lead people. I'm going to share four sort of thought patterns that are going to sound kind of off the wall. This is based on research with hundreds of thousands of people. And they discovered that when people are thinking these in these sort of four categories of thought, they become this type of leader. They create exceptional results. And so Burnham Rosen sort of categorized, put these in the four categories of thoughts and said, well, that kind of leader who creates these kind of exceptional business results, let's call that an interactive leader. And those, those four categories of thoughts, and let's just call them impact thoughts or interactive impact thoughts, they are, number one, keeping authority at the appropriate level. Number two, mutual respect and involvement. Number three, flexibility. And number four, focus on the right results. So these are just a way of approaching your team and your projects and the way you do things. Yes. And if you can, what, what Burnham Rosen teaches is actually doing a little bit of an exercise, ta taking the time before certain events. Like if you're going to go into a meeting uh, with your team or with your boss, let's say, they, they would have you go through a little thought exercise to, to get your thoughts uh, already moving in these four categories. And it, that's, it almost sounds like voodoo that you, oh, you think this way and then you're, the, the meeting's going to turn out better. But it, it actually really does work. You, you get your thoughts going in that direction and then your, your actions, your behaviors basically um, follow suit and you end up producing uh, results that are impactful, that really make a difference. 
Okay, so you mentioned that the first of these ways of thinking is keeping authority at the appropriate level. Can you define appropriate level? Yes. Any leader of a group, you're going to have moments where a decision needs to be made. And the, the key is making sure that that decision happens by the right person. And it's very easy for a leader to, to just start making those kinds of decisions yourself. I mean, I, I fall into that all the time. This is a great example of something that happens both in your personal life, uh, for example, your family and in business. Our two oldest kids are in their teenage years. And so you start to have questions that come up about boundaries. What, you know, what used to be uh, an appropriate boundary for a grade school kid may not be appropriate for a high school kid, but you don't just want them to disappear. You want those boundaries to gradually enlarge as the, as the, uh, the, the child um, shows responsibility. And so we basically have started to invite our, our kids to, well, what, you know, when, when the question comes up, well, how often can, how often can I talk to uh, this girl that I'm really interested in? Well, what do you think is an appropriate boundary? You know, have a discussion about what, if, if that's the boundary, then, you know, these are the possible outcomes but basically, don't make the decision if it's re- if you as a leader are really not the place where that decision should lie. It comes down to ownership. If you make the decision and it's not your, it's not really your level of the appropriate level of authority, then where does the ownership and accountability lie for that decision? It ends up being on the leader, and so you don't you have less natural accountability built in if the if the if the person on your team has the authority you you let them make the decision or you even refuse to make the decision you sort of insist that no you know you make the decision they are going to be to own that decision they're gonna they're and so whether it it proves to be the right or the wrong decision that they're going to be accountable for it and you as a leader need to support that decision so let's say it ends up being the wrong decision well, you, as the leader, you don't want to jump all over them for that. I mean, that's part of being a leader. You you own the things that your team stands for, but you let the authority, the decision get made at the appropriate level. That sounds like it could be difficult. What if you can see they're going to make the wrong decision and it's going to turn out badly? That's a good, that's a good question. And, and I, th- I think if you have insight as to what, what are the, potential or likely consequences, I think, you know, you owe it to the team to share that. What you're basically sharing are your honest and open reactions to uh, to what they're saying. You're, in other words, you're sharing your thoughts and feelings, and that kind of gets into the, the topic of flexibility, which we'll talk about in, in just a little bit. So, if you are keeping the authority at the appropriate level, and you're not making decisions that aren't yours to make... Um, but allowing your team members or your family members to um, take that responsibility. Some of the things that are going to come out of operating that way are that your team or the individuals on your team are going to feel motivated to make the appropriate decisions, and they're going to actually feel like they have the power to do this and to make a difference themselves. Also, the speed and the quality of decision-making improves. You know that from personal experience. You've got a list of, 
you know, 25 emails all waiting for some sort of next action from you when really it belongs to someone else. And you see that as your team grows, that the the whole, we've seen on, on Aspendale as we've grown where I used to feel like I had to make all decisions and I, you know, I eventually saw that that was bottlenecking things and started to keep the authority and the accountability where it belonged. I saw that you're letting the decisions happen faster because it's not just you and you're building your team's competency to make fast and appropriate uh, decisions. Okay. Now, an- another one of these uh, ways of thinking is making your your decisions and your thoughts with mutual respect and involvement. How does that work? Mutual respect and involvement, it incorporates a few, well, let's say there's two key aspects of that. Well, I'll say three aspects of that. One is, of course, involvement, that you start to see things more as um, a we activity or a decision as opposed to uh, a me. And this, quite frankly, I think is challenging for anybody who's more of an extrovert. In fact, I think as, as I get older, I'm, I'm, I start to feel more introverted than I, than I used to. Um, and so I catch myself doing things by myself that really I should do with someone else, even just creating the topics for this podcast. You know, I, I, my natural inclination right now is to kind of sit and think about, okay, what are the next 10 or 20 episodes going to be and, and plan that out. And maybe that's an okay first step, but I really should then share that with my colleagues at Aspendale and, and maybe clients too and find out and listeners find out, you know, really what, what are, what's the most important topics? What, you know, what do they want to hear? What's really going to make the biggest difference? So it's, it's get, kind of getting out of the, the, the me zone and get into the we zone. So that's involvement. Also, authenticity is, is uh, an important part of that. And that is basically sharing what's really inside of you, especially your thoughts and feelings. Um, because that's going to, number one, make people, other people more likely to trust you because they feel like they see the real you. And it's also going to encourage them to be more authentic with their thoughts and feelings. And then you just, you're, 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 everybody's more transparent. You're dealing with reality instead of with masks. And then um, the other aspect is empathy. And a lot of the things that and we've talked recently about empathetic thinking in some of our pre- previous episodes, a lot of this you could, you could sum up and you, to say, if you're doing all that well, then you are actually practicing what we've called on this show emotional intelligence or EIQ. And, you know, we, we've said that uh, there's, you know, normal, there's sort of the traditional intelligence that we're all familiar with, IQ, sort of how smart you are, uh, how quick you are to remember things and uh, put two and two together. But emotional intelligence is how well you kind of recognize the thoughts and feelings that other people are having and recognize your own thoughts and feelings and how you are impacting each other and sort of um, navigating those waters well um, and, be, you know, being empathetic with other people and having the, the, the right influence on them and also allowing them to influence you appropriately. So all that together kind of goes into this um, mutual respect and involvement. 
And when you are practicing mutual respect and involvement, you are actually going to have higher levels of employee engagement and higher morale because the people on your team and your family or organization are going to feel that they're actually understood, that their contributions and their thoughts are appreciated. Um, There's a climate of sharing, not really holding information or ideas close to the chest, but being, being kind of out there and more willing to take a risk and share that. Um, also, any issues that come up are going to come up a lot earlier so that you can resolve them with little fuss instead of being a big deal. And political infighting is kept to a minimum as well. Yeah, and that, that just gets back to the, the idea that the magic is in the we, not in the me. And you, you, this, is what, what's one of the, this is one of the areas where it's so clear how the 21st century is different from the 20th century and why this is important. If you look at the way information works these days, you can see that we all, with, with, the, with the internet and cloud and, and um, more powerful information systems, we all expect information at our fingertips. And it, if you go back to the 1970s, how it was like to work there, information was much more closely guarded. Information was power. And only the top executives had all the facts. So the, re- the rest of the, of the company kind of just did what, what the top executives told them to do. Now, it's much more expected that information is distributed. We all have access to it. It's what you do with it that makes you stand out. And it's not just expected, it's an actual competitive advantage because the, the, the greater you allow your team to have information, the quicker they can go to market with things, the quicker they can respond to problems. And so you have uh, companies that are you know, sprouting up that, that weren't on the radar screen a few years ago. All of a sudden, you know, they're on the radar screen. They're big and they're making things happen in the world. They're moving so fast. And information and the sort of the magic being in the we is what fueled that. And you just contrast that with, you know, who were the great companies back in the 1970s? You know, for example, GM uh, being, or, or Chrysler that we talked about earlier. You know, the, those, com- those kind of companies which are still today considered to be mo- slower moving and they're no longer the, the world's biggest, most impactful companies. Now, you recently had an experience with Cecily where you kind of changed your thinking to being one of mutual respect and involvement. That's right. We had made the decision that I was going to take our oldest daughter, Cecily, on a a special vacation to Alaska. And we've done this from time to time with other kids uh, where we plan a special just one you know one parent to one child just to kind of create uh, some special time together and usually it's a surprise we we the whole trip is planned and the kid is whisked off and that surprise just kind of you know is part of what makes it fun and with Cecily number one I just kind of you know knew her personality better and 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 also the nature of this trip it wasn't just hey let's let's go off to an amusement park together this is this trip required a lot more planning. It was more of a, a camping and adventure kind of trip. So I, I asked her, I said, you know, I was thinking about doing something, um, the two of us, and I wondered if you would uh, have more fun with the surprise or if you want me to tell you up front. 
And uh, she said, yeah, I'd rather know up, know up front. And so then I, uh, I told her about it. And then we had, uh, I forget, two or three months to plan this trip together. And what you saw, so it was something that was all the more exciting because we were planning it together. It was going to be, and it was going to be a mutual experience together. And all along, what it kind of gets down to is recognizing fully the other person as a valuable and whole person. So this wasn't, you know, my daughter, uh, the, the, my daughter who's just a kid. And so I'll take care of everything and just bring her along and she'll have fun. This was, well, my daughter is 14 years old and is a, a, a smart thinking person and is really going to have some valuable insight into what's going to make this a better, a better trip. So, yeah, I think that was a, an example where the mutual respect and involvement made a huge difference. And it's been, that, that trip was a few months ago and it's still something that we both just glow over when we, when we think of it. This third way of thinking is about being flexible. Yes. And the psychologists behind all this research use the term paradox and complexity to explain what we mean by the, the, the flexibility. But it, it's about um, recognizing that, you know, life is complex. The, the world is not all black and white. And there's any given situation can have positives and negatives and can affect uh, affect a person uh, differently. And so any the, the flexibility involves on the one hand recognizing that you and I are both going to have emotions when something happens. And a lot of the times those emotions are conflicting. And that's okay. That doesn't make you stupid because you can't decide is this a good thing or a bad thing uh we recently were were thinking about should we uh buy a vacation home and you know there were parts of that decision that are really exciting and thrilling and to think about wow yes while our kids are still uh at home with us and young enough to really create these family memories of going to uh, a vacation home on a lake and experiencing those times together, they they also create some real concerns. Well, geez, we've made a decision to avoid debt and we've worked so long to be completely debt-free, including our home mortgage and have emergency savings uh, saved up. And now we don't have, it's not like we have cash to put down on this house. And so we're talking about using some of the emergency savings as as the down payment on the house and then actually taking out a mortgage for the rest. And Wow, that's kind of a, a scary thought. And so those are, those are, there's a paradox there, and that's okay to have that paradox. And when you as a leader can uh, uh, recognize that that's okay in your team and also in yourself, it frees everybody up to be more forthcoming with how they're feeling and be willing to share and, and, and feel like they're really being understood. So that's kind of the flexibility on the, the feelings side, the paradox of things. And then the other side of that is how flexible are you in terms of mistakes? If you make mistakes or other people make mistakes, are you going to kind of be the, you know, sort of the um, 
Steve Jobs is a good example. I mean, he he just always saw people. It was black and white, and they either did uh, insanely great work or the work they did was you know shit, as he called it. You're either insanely great or it's shit, and it's black or white. And um, you know, Steve had other aspects of genius that made him <laughs> truly great and and accomplish great things and overcome. But that was not one of his strong suits. Is, is sort of being flexible and comfortable with paradox and recognize, you know, mistakes are just a part of doing business. And a lot of them don't necessarily materially affect the outcome, whether you cause the mistake or I do, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to have mistakes. And if you're not making any mistakes, then you're probably not learning and, and growing. So having that flexibility is very powerful in a leader. So the outcome of being flexible in your thinking is that uh, you can allow yourself to be flexible with the ups and downs that come your way because you're holding to the long-term view. It can allow you to think strategically. And flexibility also creates a climate that can support innovation. Right, because if, if you don't allow mistakes, you're not, you're not really creating a, a, an environment that supports innovation. People can't innovate if they don't have the freedom to make mistakes. The last way of thinking for successful interactive impact is focusing on the right results. Yes. And this, for me, was kind of the most challenging to get my head around, and although it sounds kind of obvious and simple. First of all, there, and there's two aspects of this. One is long-term planning, and the other is focusing on purpose or pride. It's no surprise to say that to be a great leader, you need to have a long-term focus. Um, but it really is, uh, it's actually unusual if you pay attention to what people are doing. There's a lot more uh, focus on short-term than long-term. And, and there's a lot of people that walk into a meeting um, or launch into a project without really thinking about and getting the group to agree on what are our outcomes in this? You know, what are the long-term outcomes that we are going after and who should be included in planning to reach those uh, outcomes? And uh, so that's kind of the long-term focus. The other side is purpose and pride. Um, an interactive leader helps the group define what is our purpose. The, the group kind of together determines... Um, what our outcomes should be, and really seeks to to create mutual goals that are um, going to really m make us all feel passionate about. So it's it's you're you're, cre you're you're kind of finding the purpose and values behind the goals that you're after, and it's um, it's easy for in the in the workplace to set a goal like, hey, we need to create a hundred widgets. Um, and we need to create, and we need to sell them for a hundred dollars. Um, the the interactive leader helps the group figure out what is the greater purpose that's served behind these widgets. Well, if it weren't for these widgets, people wouldn't have this thing going in their lives. Or and and if we didn't um, provide them quickly enough, it's going to cause this problem in people's lives. And so you you kind of think through. What's the, what's the real long-term purpose behind what we're accomplishing? And where can we 
all together mutually, if you will, have pride in our outcome. Because people, uh, if they can find an outcome of their work that that they can feel that they can take pride in, it's very powerful. Um, just as an example, on the Aspendale team, we we got together this past summer, and we were kicking around. Um, you know, our identity and where are we going down the road? What's our long-term vision? And, you know, one of the, one of the um, members of our team said, well, you know, for one thing, I, I just want to be able to, to do cool work. I want to create things that for our clients that, um, you know, yes, they meet the client's needs and uh, accomplish uh, an objective for that client but that are just cool. I, you know, and not that every single thing we have to do is cool and is going to win some kind of award, but you know, it's nice that in any given year, for example, we have a, at least a handful of projects that we're going to really be proud to share with our kids. You know, look at this cool thing, look at this poster we made or look at this video uh, that we did. And 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 a lot of the times it's not just, you know, is it cool cuz it is it cool looking, but is it cool because of the story behind it? It, it not only does it look great, but here's how it uh, affected people's lives. Now, is this something that that really is only applicable to the workplace, or is it possible to stretch this beyond to other leadership roles? I think it's not just a stretch. I think it's a, a, a clear uh, application of of this focusing on the right results and planning and pride. Th- that whole principle is very applicable in our personal lives. For example, we uh, set, um, geez, I think it's been, yeah, seven years ago, we kind of created a vision for our family. And, uh, you know, it had, some of it had to do with the idea that our kids would always remember growing up with warm thoughts and that, that, that they would, you know, remember us as their parents and each other as fun enjoyable relationships. And it's interesting to see how that's played out as we've gotten, as our, as our kids have kind of uh, adopted that goal, they kind of took ownership for that outcome. And, and, and as seven years have gone by, um, and you know, we, for example, one, one of my uh, sons said, you know, it's just recently, I, I think we've, we're really on track to be that kind of family where even when everybody's adults, that they still really look forward to getting together and have a great time to great time together. I mean, I just see a lot of the things that we do where we're already having those kind of moments together. Um, and so it's, I really think that we're, we're going to make that happen. And he said that with pride. And so it was, it was a, an outcome, an important outcome to us that took some planning. That's not just going to happen by accident. I mean, I wish we were all perfect people in our family, that, but, but we're not. You know, we're imperfect people that are learning to really enjoy each other. And, um, and so to have that as one of our long-term goals is a, a great source of, of pride. And it keeps us focused with a, with a, a strategic focus. You know, the, the ups and downs of life are going to have less negative impact when, uh, when you have that kind of a, a prideful purpose in mind. Right. By focusing on the right results, the goals that you're working toward are seen as meaningful and attainable, and feedback is welcome and is seen as valuable toward achieving those goals. 
Right. So if I if 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 they have pride in this goal that we're talking about, like this this future vision of our, of our family, you know that seems like a meaningful and attainable goal. And also, I as the leader, I should or the parent in this case, I I should be able to give feedback and have that feedback be be welcomed. I, you know, if one of my sons is treating another son uh, is is picking on him, for example, I can say. You know what? What you're doing right now is not really getting us toward this future vision that you're, uh, you know, you just told me yesterday that you were excited about. And if, if that's really something that that he's owned, that that's a goal that he really was excited about, he he's gonna see the the, the truth behind that statement. So you want to keep the impact, making a difference that truly matters, as the motivator when you practice keeping authority at the appropriate level, mutual respect and involvement, flexibility, and focusing on the right results. Right. I think you said that well by leading with the idea of keeping your focus on impact or making a difference that truly matters. Because you can be putting these four categories of thought uh, into action that we talked about today, but they're not going to really be effective if you're, if you're, ultimate motive behind those is more achievement focused, like getting tasks done or beating the competition or affiliation focused, like hey, making sure these people like me or, or accept me. There, these four thought categories are powerful if your focus stays on making a difference that truly matters. Okay. Thanks, Jesse. Be sure to catch next week's episode when we explore the power of authenticity with Dave Stachowiak, who is the host of the podcast, Coaching for Leaders. Have a great week. As we wrap up today's show, I would just like to say thank you to all our listeners for your support. We just recently made it to the new and notable listing on iTunes for their business podcasts, and that's because of all the downloads and reviews that we've received. I would like to thank a few people for their recent reviews on iTunes. Kim Wiggins from A Time to Shine, Steve Cloyda from The Prospecting Expert, John Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire, Mark Mason from Mason World, and Dave Stachowiak, who we just mentioned from Coaching for Leaders. Thank you all. And if you haven't yet rated us on iTunes, please consider doing that today. It just makes a huge difference in helping more people discover our show. Go to engagingleader.com slash iTunes. We would love to know your thoughts about this episode. You can leave your comments on our show notes at engagingleader.com or connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers on internal communication strategies. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Arthur Hankey, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.